I can't even do an intro for today's episode that would give it justice. But I want you all to just listen and listen with an open heart. I interviewed June Rogers and Tracy Timby, and we talked about diversity and inclusion and how we as women in leadership roles and running our own businesses and as entrepreneurs, how we can really use vulnerability and humanity and bring things together and bridge the gap and start making a difference in lives, individual lives, but also in communities. So I'm not even going to go deep into an introduction today. I really feel that the content in this episode is so powerful and so enlightening that we need to just jump in, listen to the episode, and I'm going to leave it at that. Please, after you listen, send me a note, reach out to connect. I would love to hear your perspective. It's, it's going to be a great episode, and I think you're really going to be enlightened. So thank you for listening, and let me know your thoughts. Are you looking for unique gifts for the special women in your life? Moms, sisters, friends? The second phase Etsy shop was created with gift giving in mind. Visit the shop to purchase beautiful note cards for every occasion that after your special someone reads the personal note from you, they can put the card in a simple frame to display in their home. A gift that keeps on giving. The second phase features my original art photography that I personally selected for you. Another great gift idea is a journal. These journals are beautifully crafted with sturdy covers with my fine art images on them. We created the pages lined on one side and blank on the other for those who like to doodle, write in free form, or draw as part of their journaling practice. At the second phase, we believe in creativity as a tool for living a purposeful and meaningful life and want to share our creations with you. Our products are great for teacher gifts, Mother's Day gifts, birthday gifts, and just little happy gifts and inspiration. Are you feeling extravagant and want to treat yourself to some art? Check out our beautiful line of fine art prints. They help any room in your home feel special. To access the Etsy shop, Visit my website, www.robingrahamphotography.com forward slash shop, or you can go straight to Etsy and just search the second phase. But keep in mind, there are no spaces. The second phase is all together. We hope you enjoy the shop and all of the products we've created, especially for you. friends, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host, and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in the second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build the business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact 
and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. June Rogers and Tracy Timby, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Hi, Robin. Hi, Robin. Hello. I am so thrilled to have you ladies here today. This has been um, something we've been working on behind the scenes for a few weeks now, but I am very excited to bring your wisdom, your insight, and just your beautiful souls to my audience. So let's start with June. Will you please tell the listeners a little bit about you? Sure. Hi, I'm June Rogers. I uh, currently uh, work at Bucks County Community College. I direct a social services program known as the Keys Program. I also uh, reside in, it's interesting, in Chester County. And I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, so the majority of my life has been spent in Philadelphia. So as you can see, I get around a bit. One of my um, passions is to definitely work with our uh, most vulnerable student populations. Hence, I direct the KEYS program through the Department of Human Services. That's awesome. Tracy, how about you? Hi, I'm Tracy Timby. I'm the Dean of the Department of Business and Innovation over at Buck. So June and I are colleagues, I'm happy to say. And I've had my position as Dean for about six years. And prior to that, I was a practicing attorney and also ran the paralegal program uh, for Bucks. So I've been there in some capacity since 2005, first as part-time faculty, then full-time, and then on to my, my current position. I grew up in Washington's Crossing, Pennsylvania. I went to um, school for my undergrad in Philadelphia at St. Joe's and then down to Baltimore for my master's and then back up to Delaware for my law degree. So um, I guess I get around a little bit too. <laughs> and then ultimately settled um, back in Bucks County um, where I got married and have um, two daughters now that are, are both in college. So that's awesome. awesome. Well, I wanna give everybody just a little bit of history because when we originally scheduled this, Tracy and I were gonna do an interview and we were gonna talk about her role as Dean and her inspiration to her students and also just her, her wisdom and insight about entrepreneurship. And then the George Floyd murder happened and the Black Lives Matter um, protest and the everything started happening and we felt like we really couldn't have our interview that we had originally thought about having without addressing that and so Tracy wanted to bring June on well June couldn't make it because we had big storms come through and so Tracy and I recorded an episode and I'm telling you guys all of this because this is something that as a podcast host, I have to respect my guest as much as they respect me, and I want to respect the listeners at the same time. And Tracy and I recorded an episode, and Tracy was not comfortable with it airing because as two white women, who were we to address the issues of diversity and inclusion and bias associated with um, you know, the black population versus the privileged white population? And we came from two different mindsets as to what privileged white person is. And I couldn't for a while figure out, well, why, why does Tracy even have an issue with this? Because we're showing our hearts. We're showing that we care about this issue. And so anyway, long story short, 
we were able to have a conversation with June Rogers last week and everything came together. And I thought, okay, Tracy was spot on. Yes, we needed June in this conversation because June has so much insight and so much value to add from the black woman's perspective. So here we are today, finally, the three of us having the conversation for the podcast. And we came together last week and we, we kind of narrowed things down a little bit that if we focused on six topics, we would be able to give a lot of insight as well as guidance to anyone, any female in a leadership role, um, in an entrepreneur role that could then help bridge the gap between white women and black women and hopefully help decrease the hurt, the pain, all those emotions that are so negative that are associated with a lack of diversity and inclusion. So vulnerability, privilege, female leadership, assumptions, taking risks, and humanity. So those are our six key phrases that we're gonna focus on, or key words, I should say, that we're gonna focus on today. And with that, I'm going to start with vulnerability. And this was something that we talked about quite a bit in depth. And I would like to have the two of you give your perspectives on vulnerability and how vulnerability can play a part with decreasing racism and improve our ability to further the cause of diversity and inclusion. Well, if it's okay with you, Tracy, I'll go. Of course, sure. Okay, so I, I think vulnerability in itself, me acknowledging that I, I don't know everything and that there's much that there's left for me to learn. And that's actually, even being a black woman, that there's a lot about uh, relationships, it's a lot about um, inclusion that's left for me to learn. And being patient in that state of vulnerability, being patient with myself, and believing in myself that I can learn, reaching out, asking questions, and having conversations, and sometimes getting feedback about maybe something that I did as a leader in, the, in my role that I play that may be unfavorable, but not taking it as a, a personal attack upon myself. For the sake of being vulnerable, I think being vulnerable gives us a chance to be able to learn good things that we don't know. And that good, that learning is good. That learning is positive. And, and what we're, and what we're taught in the process of that is sustainable. We can all get together and have these, uh, if you will, kumbaya moments. Uh, this is where sometimes I'm a bit hesitant about training and I'm more um, on the wagon of education because being vulnerable, training me while I'm vulnerable, I'm just gonna get through that training and then I'm still vulnerable. But educating me, making me aware of what's going on and making me aware of where I am and making me aware of things that I may need to be or where I want to go or maybe sometimes just making me totally aware. I, I think that addresses or helps me as an individual more so than a training 
while I'm vulnerable. Now, I believe for right now in our society, we're at that vulnerable state. That's all of us. We're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. The room is open. And I would like to see education at this point. I would like to see an awareness more so than a you know, the training come in because then the training has its place. I'm not against training. It's just training is usually over when it's over. Right. I, I would definitely agree with you, June, because I think um, for me anyway, the, the college started uh, diversity and inclusion, um, I guess, programming for lack of a better word, a, a few years ago. And the Peace Center came and did uh, inventory. We each took a survey and it kind of gave you an idea of where you were in terms of, um, you know, maybe microaggressions or, um, you know, maybe racist tendencies or how accepting you were of other people or cultures. And when I took the inventory, I was really surprised by the results. I mean, I really was because I, I didn't think that I, I mean, I never intend to offend anybody. I, I thought I was a pretty kind person. I, I speak my mind, but I, I try not to necessarily be offensive. And so when you start to really kind of look at yourself immediately, you're like, oh, wow. Like you don't really want to think about yourself in that way, particularly as a white woman. Right. I, I always, I didn't think that I had any racist tendencies. Like I just didn't think that I did. Um, but what the survey showed was that I was like, probably not as, all that tolerant and then I was sort of in this and June you can help me um the it, it's not like denial but it's it's somewhere in the I think all people are equal and I'm just kind of going to operate from that premise but not really seeing people for people so for example it's you, you've heard a lot of speakers say when you tell me I don't see color that really takes away um part of a black person's identity right and so that's kind of where I was. I was like, well, people are people and we work together and we're friends and we have the same experiences. So we must be the same, right? Not bad intentions, but definitely not the level of self-awareness that um, I've come to realize that I need to have as a person who grew up in an affluent area. Um, you know, we, my dad was an attorney. We, I went to private schools. I, you know, I had a lot of advantages in life and I, I never really thought of the fact that the color of my skin was one of those advantages. I just, I thought, well, I, I work hard and, and this is kind of how it goes. Um, and I never really thought that the, the, the black women I went to high school or college with were any different than I was. And I think that even being vulnerable enough to admit it to yourself that this is part of you it's it takes time to come to grips with that so that's where i think the trainings people can kind of say okay i have to go to this three hour training but i really don't have to look deep i just have to get through the three hours so it's more about taking taking that place of vulnerability which i agree i think a lot of us are there right now because of the pandemic i mean there there was there is still a virus that threatens all of us um, and some groups are more threatened by it than others, but it is a threat to everybody on the planet, right? And when's the last time you could say there was a threat to everybody on the planet? 
So it makes you really consider your physical vulnerability, first of all. And then you have this stay at home and work from home and the busyness of our lives all kind of faded away. So those things that were sort of sitting in the back of your head bubble to the surface. And that's kind of what my experience was. And then literally seeing somebody die in front of me and that video of George Floyd was just like that, that was it. I'm like, people have to take a hard look at this. And I think that's where a lot of white people are right now. And they, as soon as some people start speaking out, then you feel like it's okay to reveal your vulnerabilities because you've got some people that are in the same place with you. So it feels safer to do that than if you're one white voice talking and, and no one else is, is sort of standing, standing with you. Um, and so I think that's part of kind of what's going on and people are able to really speak from the heart and say what's going on with them. We had a um, large conversation over Zoom last, this week at the college. There were over 200 people on there. And, you know, there were several um, black colleagues that really spoke their mind about how they, they felt, um, you know, in the workplace. And it was, it was hard to hear, but it was good for all of us to kind of get on there and share. And I do think that Zoom helps give people a little bit more comfort in sharing. Um, and I, I'm not quite sure why, if it's just the distance that people aren't right there next to you while you're sort of burying your soul or, or these wounds that have built up. Um, and to also receive that information because there is a little bit of distance from the person's pain. So sometimes you can take it in a little bit easier than if they were right there in the room with you. And uh, you know, speaking up in front of 200 people isn't always the easiest thing to do, but when they're spread over five Zoom screens, it seems a little bit more manageable. So. No, I agree with everything the two of you have just said. And I think one thing that is for sure is God has this crazy knack with timing. And if this had not happened during the COVID pandemic, what, where would we be with it? I think this has given us an opportunity for both sides to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and yet have the courage, right? To, to be bold, to be vulnerable. You act, it actually means to have courage because you're, right. you're now able to put yourself out there. And I think it's mm -hmm. given people the, the courage and the confidence to be able to accept vulnerability and say how they really feel, which I think is a blessing because now we can merge those two sides together and hear both sides and hopefully then come to a peaceful middle versus being so separate. Yeah. And, and I do think the sort of the slowing down um, of all the you know, work and activities and everything that people do, you know, on a daily basis before March, whatever, when it all came to a, a halt, um, gives you that time to kind of take in. And as June was saying, really learn and be educated as opposed to just fitting something into your day. Like, oh, HR says I have to do this. So I'm just going to fit it into my busy life and move on. So for sustainability, it can't just be something that you check the box. It has to be something that you really absorb 
and it becomes part of you or it's just not going to be sustainable. Right. It must yeah, be. Absolutely. And Tracy, you touched on something when you were talking um, and that was talking about how you grew up and you just assumed everybody was the same, not realizing that you were very privileged and you and I have this discussion because you came from a very affluent family. Your, your father was an attorney. You went to private schools. I grew up in a town of 3000 people where we had zero black people. Everybody was German and Polish, Lutheran or Catholic. And, you know, there was no diversity whatsoever. But yet I was raised to accept all people, to love all people. My father, you know, he worked, his, his company was in the town over and they, there were black people there. My dad went to high school with black people. He had black friends and he brought them to our house for dinner. So acceptance was always something that was there for me. I didn't think of it. I went, you know, once I got to college, I had, I, I worked with black people and I was always asking questions. Um, which now maybe I shouldn't have been, but I think they were okay with it because I was this little girl from the middle of nowhere who just didn't know anything. But um, I never, ever saw myself as privileged because I didn't grow up with money. I grew up middle class at best and just never thought of myself as privileged until now when I have learned that it's not about money. It's about being accepted in any room that I walk into. Access. It's about having access to healthcare and anything that I could possibly need without any ever being questioned twice. Mm -hmm. I don't get looked at twice when I walk into a store that only has a white clerk, you know, or only has white guests. I don't have to worry when my sons leave my house and think, are they going to come back? Mm -hmm. And I think that is what the real definition of privilege is, right? Like we talked about, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. And Tracy, you looked at it and you didn't realize you were privileged because, I mean, speak to that. Because I think it's so important for us to identify with what white privilege is versus just pretending it's not there. Right. And, and I think for me, I, I was always very grateful for the life that I had. I, I knew that, you know, I, I had a, um, I just had a really good life. I, I, you know, my parents worked hard. My mom worked at the elementary school that we went to. So we, we came and went to school with our mom every day. Um, you know, I was fortunate to go to a small all girls Catholic prep school um, that you know, got me into pretty much every college I applied to. And so my, you know, I had choices. It, it wasn't, um, you know, there really wasn't anything that was necessarily holding me back. Um, and I didn't, I just didn't ever think about that. It was the fact that, um, you know, I grew up in an affluent white area and that when my application went through, Nobody was looking at my name and, and sort of like judging me for maybe what my name was or, you know, um, looking at my town where I grew up and having, having anything to say about it. Um, I just, I just didn't ever think about that being a factor in anyone's life. Yeah. So, you know, it was really this you know, ignorance that it, it's kind of now I'm like, that's a huge part of life that I was completely ignorant to. 
Yeah. And we were oblivious because it was really, foreign to us. Really oblivious to it. And not even knowing enough to ask questions about it. Like I just didn't, I just didn't ask the questions to, to, you know, my black friends at college or, you know, I just assumed that we were the same because we were in the same place. Yeah. And that it didn't, their journey to get there was not much different than mine. Yeah. And June, what's your perspective looking at it from your side? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm listening to a lot of what Tracy's saying and I'm, and I'm looking at, okay, so Tracy's upbringing is like a 180 degree difference from, from my upbringing and that being in poverty, being in a predominantly low income, very low income or impoverished, if you will, not low income, impoverished, uh, growing up in an impoverished area, going to school in that same area, having very little resources. And if you actually got a job as minimum wage, that was a successful outcome. So college was a dream and was not a reality. Um, looking at that piece, looking at, um, and I, I know uh, Robin and I, we talked earlier when I said that, uh, we were looking at the income that the earning the earnings amount coming into my household uh, for the year, not realizing just how poor we were until I actually at 17 had to complete my uh, financial aid application for um, help to get to, you know, for assistance for college and realizing just how poor we were. So um, kudos to my mom. She did a fantastic job in keeping that from us. So I know what it is not to be aware of, but something very well existing. Uh, seeing um, privilege um, from my perspective was just something that I just knew in order to tap into that thing that I saw as privilege for white people, that I would have to certainly do things 10 times greater in order to get there. and. I saw that happening around me. Anyone that made it out of the neighborhood, these were individuals that didn't just make it out as just being, if you will, um, mediocre. They were outstanding. They were either the top in the class or the top at whatever it is they did um, as an athlete. They were the individuals that made it out of the neighborhood and was able to go to some of the universities, um, wherein that perhaps in uh, more affluent neighborhoods, you know, folks were going to universities all the time. They, they, you, you didn't have to be a star athlete or you didn't have to be number one in your graduating class. You know, that was a given. But from from my upbringing, it was the um, the outstanding individuals that made it to do that. And everyone else were, were lucky to find if it was minimum wage. So when I, from my perspective, when I look at privilege and knowing that it existed as long as I knew that we didn't have, when I realized that, I realized privilege did exist for some. It just wasn't us. Uh, I knew that anything that I did to get myself out of this thing that we're in called poverty, I would have to do something uh, dynamic or 10 times greater. So one of the things that I know students coming from uh, very vulnerable areas of, uh, if you will, being impoverished, that in their mind, they, they need guidance 
of how to manage that uh, having to do 10 times because that's a lot of pressure. I, I can only speak for myself. What happened to me is that I began to go against that and self-sabotage. I was a single mom at the age of 18. So that was right after high school, right after being accepted to Temple University. I got myself out of Temple University because I couldn't manage juggling going to Temple, being a mom, not having childcare, not having an income. So, yeah. I finally found my way back to school, but that was some years later, you know, well into my 30s, 40s, when that I would go back to school. I went to Penn State, got my bachelor's degree, and then um, being married, and I'm, by the way, married 31 years now, um, few children along the way, and then I was able to go uh, to graduate school and get my graduate degree from Drexel University, because then at that point, I had got to a point in my life that I'm, I'm not proving to everyone else, I'm going to prove to myself that I can take one of the most difficult programs and be successful in. So, yeah. yeah. It's quite a different perspective, right? Would you like to learn more about personal branding? Maybe you are ready to take your existing brand to the next level. The Brand Insider Mastermind will delve into every aspect of personal branding and help you create or up-level your personal brand to help your business soar to new heights. There will be an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to ask questions, an accountability partnership, an opportunity to grow your network and referral source, and much more. We will meet bi-weekly for one and a half hour sessions. During each session, a personal branding theme will be presented and discussed. Each individual will have time to ask questions and report on their specific tasks or action items. Goals and tasks will be set for the next two week period. And the Brand Insider Mastermind will be a place of accountability and connection with no judgment, only kindness and accessibility to personal and business development. Each mastermind participant will receive a one-on-one -on -one consultation at the end of the 12-week session. This is a value of $300, but will be included in the price of the mastermind for the introductory mastermind session. The themes that we will discuss and that will be taught during the mastermind sessions include the five C's of personal branding, the five W's of personal branding, the five components of a personal brand, how to identify your niche and ideal audience, content creation and differentiation, blogging, email marketing, networking, individual website and social media profile reviews and recommendations from me. Participant-led discussions based on questions and needs. The price for this is only $3.97. It is a one-time super low introductory price. Space is limited to only 12 participants to guarantee one-on-one -on -one attention. In addition to everything else mentioned, you will have access to my private Brand Insider Facebook group for ongoing access to the mastermind for learning, questions, and accountability. I sure hope to see you in the Brand Insider Mastermind in spring of 2020. To access the information, to learn more, or to register, go to my website, www.robingrahamphotography.com forward slash shop. So my question is, when we talk about females in leadership, which all three of us are, 
we all have opportunities to influence other people's choices, behaviors, and give guidance for future success, if you will. How can we take the lead on changing or bridging that gap? How can we as like, like Tracy, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Like I know that's a big component of what you do. And we talked uh, last week, the three of us about that entrepreneurial mindset and the, the mindset of taking risks mm -hmm. and how that goes hand in hand with the term entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I would love to give the, uh, the listeners some takeaways, like how can as leaders, as owners, as businesswomen, how can we bridge that gap? I think it's really important if you're, if you are a woman in leadership or, you know, a, even a solo entrepreneur, you know, you've got groups, you've got family members, you have, you know, book clubs, you have all these people that you come into contact with. And the thing is to, to take that entrepreneurial mindset, that thing that drove you to be your own boss or launch your own concept or your own product and channel that into these conversations. Like having this type of a conversation is a risk and people need to put themselves out there more just like they do in a business perspective, right? So you think you have this great idea, you find outlets to pitch your idea so that people will kind of come along and, and believe in you and then you get some momentum. It's the same thing with this. I just, I don't think that keeping quiet about it anymore is, is the way to go. It, it would obviously be easier. We talked about this last time. You know, the easiest thing to do when things are very uncomfortable or you have uncomfortable relationships is to just kind of say, okay, I'm just going to set that over there because I don't want to deal with it right now. And the easier thing to do is to walk away. But if you're really channeling that, um, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit that, that drives people to success, which is, you know, building community, solving problems, you know, garnering your resources and seeing how you can make things happen. That needs to be brought into these types of conversations because it's only with that type of drive and spirit that any measurable change is going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen without people taking significant risk and stepping out there. And, and women entrepreneurs are the ones that can, that can really do it. And we can support each other, right? Women are pretty good at coming together and supporting each other once we figure out that it's okay to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you think, well, I don't know, maybe women are more of a threat to me than than an ally, but once you figure out that it's it's okay to come together and and really work with each other, then that's that's when stuff happens. So I, I mean, I think just not being afraid to have those conversations and just you know bringing that spirit that that drove you to um, your entrepreneurial success into these conversations is what's really going to do it. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree as well. I, I see bridging that gap and I see myself as a leader, but first I see myself as a leader of myself. And I think one of the ways that we will be able to have those conversations and we can come together is that we work with self first and, and we internalize what leadership means. 
and it could be leading by example. Again, going back to what are you doing for yourself and how are you opening up the door, open up channels to improve? How are you opening up to find out? How are you uh, building those relationships? It speaks to a lot of my character. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with you, Tracy, when you say that, you know, women coming together and supporting each other, if you will, coaching each other, mentoring each other, all of those things are well if the individual is together from within. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when it's not, when internally we're not well, that, that's where we run into problems. So one of the things that I, I tell myself is that I, I, I'm the leader of June. Mm. And I treat June as a business. Now, plenty of times June's business has been shut down. <laughs> <laughs> but June has learned from that. And I continue to learn from that. And it goes back to that vulnerable piece. You know, maybe you might not get the outcomes or the measures that you were seeking. But as I lead myself, a part of that leadership is my well-being and, and to make sure that I get the information that I need and to reach out and ask questions and to seek resources and to put myself in places where things are happening. They're not going to happen most of the time if I'm sitting just watching TV. I, I don't think it will. You know, maybe I can call in to America's Got Talent. Maybe somebody might want me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, realistically speaking, I, I think that leadership is internal first. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. that's how we can begin to build bridges to making those um, wonderful connections with, um, if it's in, on at our workplace, if it's within the community, as an employee or, or an entrepreneur. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and just sort of recognizing your shortcomings and not being afraid to reach out, right? Absolutely. Because Robin yeah. and I were going to do this podcast, and then the timing just didn't seem right to talk about the programs at Fox and what we have available for upskilling and all that stuff is great stuff, it, right? It's, it's, it's all great stuff, but it just didn't seem the right timing. And I just knew enough to know that I didn't know enough um, mm -hmm. to have that conversation. And so when Robin and I did have it, it just didn't sit right with me. And that's one of the things probably over the last um, five years or so that I've realized is that when, when I have that um, gut feeling that's just nagging at me saying, maybe something's not right here that I should really listen to that and sort of look at it a little bit. And I do think that's something that entrepreneurs have to do on a daily basis. You know, they have to kind of make these calls as to whether, all right, I'm, I'm going in this direction, maybe with a, you know, a low interest loan, but I don't know if that's the right way to go. Maybe I should go with an angel investor. And a lot of it is, you know, you make informed decisions, but ultimately it comes down sometimes to instinct and, and knowing yourself and what, what, feels best for you. Um, I know I have a lot of friends that they're sending me podcasts that they're listening to. And for whatever reason, I am just not like a podcast listener all that much. Like I do listen to them, especially Robin. Um, but I, you know, I, I like to read, I process better by reading. So I find books. And so I'm sharing books and they're sharing podcasts and it's just not, you know, you have to find a thing that clicks for you so that you can get the information 
in the way that you learn best. Um, and it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it might not be what everybody else is doing and recognizing when, you know, you don't know enough to know enough and reaching out for the other voice or somebody who can help you and being able to say, Hey June, do you want to come on this podcast with me? Because I think your voice would be really important. And, you know, just being able to do that. Cause sometimes people can't do that. They, they think that, you know, their ego it will be too hurt or something if, if they kind of share that with people. Yeah. And we're, we're circling back to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the other thing that we talked about last week was, was making assumptions mm-hmm. that either we know everything or that the other person is in the same place that we're at. Mm-hmm. And we can't make those assumptions. Like we have to focus on self first, like you said. And once we can identify with ourselves, I think that helps us become more aware of the external factors and the facts that the fact that there are differences in in people, but that we can then accept those differences better because we can accept the things that we don't know. Right. And that starts with accepting the things that we don't know within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's not, that's the other thing I was, I was thinking about this week and it came up in a couple of different areas for me is, you know, blackout Tuesday, everybody put the black square, right? A lot of people put the black square and they said, I'm listening, I'm learning, you know, going to do all these great things. So that was two weeks ago, I guess. So now mm-hmm. it's about accountability, right? If you're, if you're going to step out there and say, I recognize this is something that I need to work on. Well, now's the time to say, what have you done and what are you going to do? And be accountable to somebody for that. Mm -hmm. I reached out to one of my friends. Um, She has a great podcast called The Mindful Educators. And I said to her, like, I just want to share with you what I've done. And I want to hear what you've done because I need to be accountable for this because it's really important to me. And I know enough about myself to know that if I'm not accountable, it's going to fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not good at just working out on my own. I need to have a a workout partner because I know somebody's waiting on me and counting on me to show up to motivate myself. That's just how I operate. I always Mm -hmm. did better in class when I knew it, the teacher was going to be looking for me. Right. As opposed Mm -hmm. to, maybe having an online class where they're not physically looking for you. They might be virtually looking for you, but you don't have to go show up in class anywhere. So I think that's the, that's the piece where I am right now is okay. I know this is important. I know this is an area I need to work on. So how am I going to hold myself accountable and how can women help each other be accountable for, for making that sustainable change? And, you know, I think some of that with accountability is, yes, the accountability to, hey, did you do what you what you said you were going to do? But also on the flip side of that, calling us out on it. Like, June, if you see me say or hear me say something mm-hmm. that is a microaggression, mm-hmm. which maybe we should explain what that even is, um, you know, too, as, as we go further into our conversation, but call me out on it. You know, if, if there is anything that I'm saying or doing that is not acting in accordance with what I want to have happen or what I'm saying I want to have happen with this mutuality and this respect, mutual respect and 
inclusion and, and decreasing bias, then call me out on that. You know, if I'm not using my platform as a leader, as a woman that has a platform, if I'm not using that for good, please call me out on that, right? Right. So, okay, I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, tell, let's tell everybody what microaggressions actually means. Because Tracy, when you were talking earlier about your, and we can keep this very, very brief, but when you were talking earlier about doing that assessment and how you realized, wow, I really am not as good about racism as I thought I was. Um, and, and those microaggressions were something that you learned about. So just explain a little bit about that. Either one of you, whoever wants to take the leap for that. Well, not looking at it. I wanted to get my phone to look it up first. No. Microaggressions basically are, um, could be behaviors or things done or said that that's offensive, but not direct to you. Maybe, the, maybe it wasn't directly said to you. It could have been said about. Um, they're not uh, straightforward as an aggressive action towards you. It's, it's just like what it says, it's, it's small, it's micro, and it doesn't necessarily have to be direct, directed at you, but it can certainly be about you, wherein that you would find it offensive. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit last week when we were saying how people say things and yeah. they don't realize it's offensive. So it's, it's really about awareness. Like, in a, like an, an example of that would be um, if we were having this conversation and we were talking about perhaps um, upward mobility, if you will, and talking about uh, folks attaining education and skills for upward mobility, and then was mentioned in the conversation that, um, you know, it, it would be wrong to, you know, just stay on welfare and receive public assistance and and um, be and come from North Philly, wherein the person that said that perhaps didn't mean to offend me because basically I came from North Philly and I grew up on public assistance, but they was using it as an example of that's really bad, which it is. But could you see how it could be offensive? Mm -hmm. Because you, now you have this predetermined state of what it is to grow up in North Philly, number one, to be on public assistance. And now you feel as though you, you're kind of like overgeneralizing what that means as if nothing good can come from that. Mm -hmm. And you feel judged then. And I feel judged. And I'm in this conversation, but you didn't know that about me, but I'm in this conversation. Now I'm, I'm sitting here, I've just been offended. But you didn't make the statement that, right? You didn't say, well, June grew up in North Philly, June, June, June this, but you made the statement as, a, as that being an example of bad and wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the, That's I think the one of the other examples that I remember, um, was if somebody were if i were to ask june um you know well you know where did you come from mm -hmm. right and she would say right i grew up in philly and then i might say well yeah but 
but where, where did you did come, you come from? from? Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. And uh, that one apparently people That's say true. that stuff, which is. Or can I touch your hair? Yes. That was the, uh, yeah. That I already was, gravitated right. towards it. Can I right. touch your hair? Can I touch or One of my hair? friends said she has people come up and just touch, their, touch her hair. I've never done that, but I will, I will confess right now that I am such a tactile and visual person. I have asked to touch my black friend's hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, cause it's different and I'm curious. It's, it's happened to me often, but in my microaggression training, I've learned that that's a microaggression. Yes. I'll never do it again. I have to let that way go. And so if you have a relationship with someone, it, someone tell me you speak so well right you're very well spoken oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you went to where you went to Drexel. exactly yeah are you sure yeah, yeah. okay so this th to me this is very valuable oh well i mean okay you called me out on the hair thing but <laughs> and see how loving and actually you know what it was a friend it was a friend and and we were doing makeup and everything for a photo shoot so Okay, I was complimenting about the hair. I'm going to like try to justify myself right. here, but here, but um, that's beside the point. I did it and I will admit that I'm guilty of that. But what I think is very important here is that we all need to be aware of what we're saying and how we're saying to think before we open our mouth mm -hmm. yeah. or, you know, manage that compulsion to, it's almost like, you know, when you're, when you're pregnant and people come up and want to touch your belly, right. it's like, yes. I don't know you. You can't touch my belly. Right. Well, right. You don't know me. You can't touch my hair. It's the same concept, but but really understanding the boundaries and respecting the boundaries. And I think it's as simple as thinking before we speak or thinking before we act. Right. Right. We're just thinking if someone said that to you, right? And it, this goes all the way back to talking about privilege. If I said, you know, I was from Washington Crossing, people wouldn't say, "Were you real? Did did you grow up there, or did you just?" like yeah. stay with a relative, you know, like they're not going to say that to me. When I say no. I, you know, went to Widener and got a law degree, they're, they're not going to question that, you know? So, and I was, I went to law school in the nineties when it was still predominantly male. So the only thing there might've been probably 10 years before that they would have questioned it because I was a female, not because you know, of anything else. And so just thinking if someone were to ask you that same thing, would that feel odd to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. They, would dig, they would certainly dig deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know uh, in taking um, different family members to the emergency room and speaking with emergency room personnel, even though I have in a healthcare background, I teach medical terminology. So I'm down with definitions, I'm down with procedures. I, I understand all of those things. So when I use the proper term for things, I'm always asked, are you a nurse? Like why would a, how would a consumer know that? And I have a sister-in-law that's, uh, she's a, she has a master's degree in nursing and she's a nursing supervisor and she um she says she says yeah she says black women she explains to me she says black women get that a lot she says that happens a lot when you use pr proper terms in a healthcare environment 
and they're not familiar with you, the first thing they're going to ask is if you're a nurse. And I said, well, how come they didn't ask if I was a doctor? <laughs> Do you, you want to hear something funny that goes right alongside that? When mm -hmm. I graduated from pharmacy school, now I had a doctorate degree, but I would be someplace and I could answer, like taking my parents to the doctor, for example, mm -hmm. if it was a male doctor, well, are you a nurse? Mm -hmm. Like that's the only thing you could be right. if you weren't, but isn't that funny how they do that for color or for women? Both women, yeah. It's an assumption that you would be black lower than them. Double whammy. Yeah, black women is a double whammy. Yeah, I think the fancy Absolutely. term for that is intersectionality, where there's levels oh. of oppression. Yeah, you're right. So. so, you guys, this brings us to our last um, point, and that's humanity. And when we were talking last week, June said it, and it was. Um, really just living with humanity as a core value. So we're going to have these discrepancies in our, our society, but in order to ever bridge that gap, we have to have humanity as a core value. Yeah. And you said it so eloquently last week. Absolutely. Yeah. I was really feeling it because we were, I had just actually um, prior to that, I think maybe a day prior to that, they had uh, George Floyd's uh, funeral televised. And just listening to the speakers and uh, listening to some of the interviews, I, 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 I said, where is human decency? When do we get to that point? I don't know if it's measurable but we, we can certainly hold each other accountable for human decency. We may not know all the cultures on the face of the earth. We may not know all the languages. So we're all gonna make mistakes. It's not an exclusive right to white people to have microaggressions. We all commit microaggressions, including myself. But do I have the human decency once I'm called on it to make good, to make better, to do better? So human decency is, if, if we don't get that, all the training, all the education, all the workshops and speakers coming in, we're gonna still be at that same place in order to move to the next level, which would be human decency. That's gonna be something that's gonna to have to happen internally. I love that. I mean, I think, I think we're going to end there because that's such a powerful statement. And I think that I actually am like tearing up because that's such a powerful statement and mm -hmm. it has to come from within. Yeah. Each and every one of us. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. I, I even learned more today than I had learned when we spoke last week. And I think it's, um, an enlightening conversation that needed to be had. And I think we need to continue to hold each other accountable mm -hmm. on both sides and for just forge a new path together collectively to make a difference and have humanity at our core. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Robin. It's been a pleasure. And that's a wrap friends. 
Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, the Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the second phase podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.